Father, starting our week with worship, with the word, and I hope with encouragement, Father. So teach us, bless us with, uh, with your word, preserved for us so that we can live according to it. And we can be a light, we can shine, and we can be difference makers for you and because of you, through you. Thank you, Father, for Jesus, for his love, for the cross, for his resurrection. And uh, uh, Father, I hope that we all earnestly await the time to join and be with you. And until then, to encourage the saints, to make disciples, and to live with purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, I wonder, time for a little honesty here, could mean a raising of hands a little bit. Did you notice there was an eclipse last week? (laughs) Maybe? Yeah. (laughs) Eight of us. Yeah, eight of us. We noticed. We saw. So here's what I'm curious about, because there are people that were so excited They made Oregon one of the hubs of the world, an estimated one million visitors here in Oregon to witness what was, I guess when it comes right down to it, about a two-minute event, and then out of town, gone. One million people come into Oregon. And not just Oregon, but a narrow swath of Oregon. We got to be at this spot. So... People were excited. People I talked to were excited. There, are, there was, you know, oh my goodness, end of the world. This is a huge sign. Because of this, this is going to happen. You better be ready. There were people that were on the side of, hey, you know what? It gets dark every day. So <laughs> I don't get it. So I'm curious which side we are on. And so raise a hand if this was, hey, this was a cool event. Okay, if, uh, hey, happens every day, anybody like that? Okay, here's what was accompanied with like the four people that raised their hand, it was this. I know, it's hard to be called out as the minority in the entire room. Well, for the most part, I was a little bit of a head bow, okay, I, I see this every night, happens every night, and... Uh, there's places I want to go during the eclipse, and it's hard to get there now because everybody's on the road. <sighs> so the eclipse wasn't like a great thing for me leading up to it. But even though I kind of had that kind of attitude, I was also out here in the parking lot with a half dozen other people earnestly waiting to see what would happen. And got to say, I thought it was... It was neat to feel the temperature change and uh, to two or three times for a brief few seconds uh, borrow somebody's special 3D movie glasses and look up there, and then I went home. But shortly after that, uh, I saw this quote about the eclipse. This is from a professor. His name is Dr. David Ortega. He's a former professor at New Hope Christian College in Eugene. And see if we have that up. Oh, look at that. Okay. He wrote this. He says, I live in Silverton, Oregon, in the center of the path of totality. As I observed the beginning and the end of the eclipse yesterday, I had these thoughts going through my mind. 
The darkness that began to cover the light was not visible nor noticeable. We only knew the eclipse had begun because our eclipse app told us the exact time it began. And that's when we looked up. Even after the moon had covered four-fifths of the sun, it was barely visibly noticeable. Finally, the total eclipse occurred, but even then, it was not totally dark, more like dusk after the sunset. But what arrested my attention was the corona and rays of light shining forth behind the moon. At that moment, a scripture flashed through my mind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. John 1, 5. My take from this spiritual experience, a darkness has descended in the world, and many people are not aware of it. This darkness has covered more than half the world, and still people are living as though the light is fully present. But even should the darkness cover the entire world, it cannot overcome the light. For the splendor, beauty, glory, and the power of the light of Christ will prevail. Just like the total eclipse that lasted less than two minutes, so are the trials, sufferings, and tribulations we are presently undergoing are just light momentary afflictions when compared to the surpassing glory being produced in us as we preserve, as we persevere with hope in this life. And he finishes with this, so make your life count. Stand firm. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Love the people in the sphere of your influence. Walk and speak the truth in love. Walk firmly on this earth with your eyes fixed on Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith. He is the light in you that cannot be overcome. Oh, that was amazing. And I wish, hindsight, maybe I would have had more of a mindset of that in this eclipse before it came. And he, he speaks of it as a spiritual event. And there are things that, that we witness, we observe, circumstances in our lives that touch us and affect us in such a way that it goes beyond what we can touch, what our senses can sense, but it's here. And to look at that event that occurs so rarely and see it as something that relates to God. Because remember, God orders all things. And what an amazing thing that, that was. The light that shines in the darkness. In my conversation with people leading up to the eclipse, it often centered on just that theme, light and darkness. Wanting to see it dark in the middle of the morning. Wanting to see what it was like to see maybe that darkness coming having to wear special glasses to be able to look at this activity, and just the wonder of what is it going to be like and how it centers from light, dark, light. And so much of Scripture reminds us of this very thing, that we do live in a dark world, but there is a light. That light is Christ. And it's interesting what Jesus himself says about light in a passage and in a teaching that I'm, I'm sure most or all of us are familiar with. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses, starting in verse 14, he says to a large gathering of people, you are the light of the world. 
And he gives them an example. You are, a light of the, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. People all over the world looked upon this eclipse, and it brought to mind the Creator. A light in the darkness. My focus this morning is not on the darkness, but it's on the light. Jesus said, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Let your light shine. So let me ask this question, and I'm looking for some feedback. In what way can we as believers shine? Jesus said, let your light shine. It's a, it's a do thing. So, if you are willing to raise your hand or just sing out a little bit, when Jesus said, let your light shine, at what, what are ways that you and I as Christians can shine? Anyone? What's that? Kindness. Absolutely. Kindness. Our atti- what kind of attitude should we be displaying? A good attitude. Okay? Helping others. Yes. Being honest about things, Uh uh-huh. Showing grace, yes. Oh, really good, got some more. Forgiveness, share the love of Jesus. There was one over here. Uh Forgiveness, share the love. Share the good news, for sure. Patience. Uh Uh-huh. Sometimes our patience seems about as rare as an eclipse. (sighs) Yeah. See, a lot of you are like me. You remember when that was never even an issue. That was never a thing. Yeah. You know, those, those are really good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on, uh, on a handful this morning. There are so many. The Bible's filled with examples and stories of men and women that shined. And not surprisingly to me, there's a number of people I know here that our church is filled with people that shine. It really is. And correct me if I'm wrong, but light shines brightest in the darkness. And it makes it an unusual thing. It's interesting to me, I looked up the definition of the word eclipse. And there's there's a few. uh, Because of the time of year and what has just happened, virtually everything you find has to do with the physical solar eclipse and and how that is defined but there was a couple others and one i thought this was perfect for this morning one definition of the word eclipse is outshine outshine and we as believers are to outshine the darkness 
within ourselves and within an unbelieving world. The definition of eclipse is to outshine. And we'll apply it to the darkness. We are to outshine the dark. And when we do, I think we become a particularly unusual people. Because if darkness seems to be the course of the day, the standard for the day, a sense of a world that is kind of, we're spinning out of control, everyone's mad at everybody over everything. And so we seek our own, and what brings joy and happiness to us often at the expense of others. And our standard for success is skewed towards how much I have versus how much somebody else has. But as Christians, all those things that were mentioned this morning that we are supposed to embody where there's kindness, kindness in a dark world that doesn't fit, it's unusual. And patience, because, oh my goodness, do we need patience? And to exhibit patience is unusual in this world. To speak of one God and to name him as Jesus Christ in a world that says either there is no God or make up your own God, whatever suits you and makes you happy, that's God. So to, to proclaim and stand for one God, and he is Jesus, is unusual in this world. But it's what shines. A light shines in the darkness. We are a particularly unusual people when we shine. And Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Let's look at a few ways that we can outshine the darkness. One, let's start with, is prayer. In the New Testament, referen- the New Testament references prayer at least 158 times. Some years back, I read through the New Testament, and I highlighted with a different color uh, several different things that I was looking for in the Bible. One was prayer. How often is prayer mentioned in the New Testament? For what reasons? Who's praying? And what are they praying about? And it was fascinating to me. 158 times I've got marks in my Bible on prayer. 64 are through the first four books of the New Testament, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And virtually all of those are Jesus teaching on prayer, talking about prayer, praying, pray, pray, pray. And Jesus is our example. In Luke 5.16 says, Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places and prayed to the Father. Luke 6.12 says that Jesus would spend long hours praying to God, sometimes an entire night. Matthew 6.5, Jesus taught his followers how to pray. Matthew 14, 9, Matthew says this, that he tells us that Jesus would always give thanks before meals. Matthew 19, Matthew says Jesus prayed for little children. Luke 18, Jesus told his disciples, always pray. In John 
chapter 11, John tells us Jesus prayed for unbelievers to believe. Acts 1.14 tells us that after Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples joined together constantly to pray. And finally, in Philippians 4, 6, we're taught this. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a familiar passage, but I want to encourage us to go against a trend and I, I, this, I sense this in my own life from time to time and as in honest conversations with people, with Christians about prayer, one of the things that, that we tend to feel and that I, boy, I struggle with sometimes is how does prayer work? And prayer kind of becomes our fallback, it seems like, when we are talking with people who are in distress, who are suffering are in the midst of crisis and loss and you know you we all know this feeling you don't know what to say what words of comfort can you give and our fallback is well i'm gonna pray for you and i'm not asking for hands and stuff and I, maybe it's just a confession my own personal confession up here which makes me uncomfortable but sometimes I'll throw that out there because I just don't know what else to say. It's like there's nothing except, well, this. And it almost seems like a feeble thing to offer. I'm going to leave you, and I'll pray for you while I'm gone. I shared this years ago up, up front here. When I was a young man, a young Christian, and me and some friends came into a restaurant and we came uh, across uh, an acquaintance. And you stop, you say hello, ask how he's doing. And, you know, most of us, whether we're doing well or not, would say, hey, things are fine, because it's just how we do it. And then you go on your way and do your thing. To say I'm fine is part of the hello. Well, he didn't say he was fine. And he gave me uh, a few moments of a list of terrible things that had occurred and were occurring in his life. And I didn't know what to say. Had no words of encouragement to think of other than to say, hey, you know, I'll pray for you. And kind of ended the conversation and started to leave with that. And he stopped me. And probably because, probably because of what that man was dealing with and the raw emotions that he had. And honesty was on the forefront. He confronted me and said, no, you won't. You're going to walk away, you're going to go home, and you're going to forget this conversation. You're not going to pray for me. And then he ended the conversation, and that was it. Boy, that was a long walk to the other end of the restaurant to my table thinking, I think he's right. That's probably what I would have done. Prayer. Jesus always prayed. 
always in, always in connection and communication with the Father. And he urged us to do the same. Pray. When you're anxious, pray. When you don't know what to do, pray. When you come across unbelievers, pray. When you're in the midst of blessing and good time, pray. Always, always pray. Lift each other up. Pray. Always. And I'm thankful for this phrase that I read in Philippians. Because it, it helps me. Present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer is beyond me. And the Bible even says it's beyond your understanding. It transcends your understanding. You may not get it. It may flummox you to a certain extent. But you be a person of prayer because God responds. And it connects you to God. And it brings peace in all of our circumstances. And God knows what we deal with. And he knows anxious thoughts, anxious feelings sometimes pervade our lives. And I just stand up here in front of my whole church family and say, boy, I'm an anxious person. I am. I stress. And so reading this, even in this context, boy, it's a help to me. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're going to shine we need to be people who pray. And we pray for one another. And prayer is never just the back burner thing. It's never what you say to get out of a conversation. It's what you do to bless and support and be connected to God and be part of what God is doing in your own life and in the lives of others. Pray. Forgiveness Jesus taught strongly on this. We're going to be people who shine. We are people who forgive. Matthew 6, 14, 15. Jesus said, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow, what a stark, powerful message. question in your heart of hearts in mine is your forgiveness is my forgiveness is it conditional is it based upon whether we feel like the person who has transgressed is deserving are they contrite enough for you and I that we can forgive them have they earned it is there a condition and it's something Christians wrestle with. Complete forgiveness, partial forgiveness, forgive it all. And then you read the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, probably the greatest sermon ever, about forgiveness. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. 
In Colossians 3, we're told this. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, that was mentioned, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then it says this, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. We shine, we forgive. We pray, and we forgive. In Ephesians, it says this, chapter 4, verse 32, we are told, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. I hope that there is a sobering feeling when we consider what God has done for us. That we are not deserving of his mercy, grace, love, and forgiveness. None of us. We are not deserving. And we weren't deserving. Whenever you and I would flash back to that moment when we were saved. We didn't do something to earn it. We, in a sense, we cry out to God, I have no other recourse for salvation but you. And I don't deserve it. And yet, you offer it. And Jesus says, because of that, you cannot hold back forgiveness to others. You were not deserving. I was not deserving of my salvation. I am not deserving to read that Jesus is preparing a place for me forever so to shine we forgive those and by definition probably not deserving but neither are you and I we are going to shine Jesus said you are a light we pray and we forgive we're also want to be these kind of people encouragers oh my goodness are we not thankful for those who take the time to build us up to pick us up to acknowledge our efforts those people who give voice to what we dare to hope are the good qualities that we have someone to say you're all right and i see things in you and i notice things in you and they actually take a moment either to write a card or to look us in the eye and say, I appreciate you because of this. I heard you say this. I saw you do this. I worked alongside you and observed and witnessed this in you. And I'm glad for you. And those kind of people are amazing. This I think I've shared before. And I've been here a long time. And I have at various places... In my house, in my office, in the youth room, I have cards and notes that people have given me, have taken the time to be thinking of me and write me something, leave me something, post me something. And I keep virtually every one. Like I said, I'm an anxious person. We all have our, the, we look upon ourselves and we see the weaknesses and the faults and sometimes I like to come across those cards and notes 
open a card and read it and think, boy, I want to live up to that. I guess that was, they caught me at a good moment, maybe. And a lot of those cards are a prayer. It's a written out prayer. People praying for me. And oh, does it make a difference. And there are people who text me nice things. And there are people who pull me aside and say nice things. And people who pull me aside and pray for me. Oh, does it make a difference. Encouragers are amazing people. There's a really short book in the Bible. It's called Philemon. Paul writing to a friend. And it's a, if you, some people I uh, come across and talk about being encouragers and they'll say something to the effect of, I just don't know how to start a conversation and build people up. What do you say? How do you do that? If you want to take a, Take just a moment. I mean, you can read this in like two minutes. And it is Paul encouraging Philemon to an amazing act. It is to free a slave. Something that's very unusual. But Paul starts the letter with such an encouraging passage. He he writes to Philemon, I always... Thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. In my prayers. Because I hear about your faith in the Lord, Jesus, and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Boy, I have, I have letters, I have cards, I have notes that are similar to this. Boy, it changes your day. You, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Paul says, you encourage me with your love and your behavior. In essence, you shine, and I know it. And it makes a difference in my day. And then he asks him and encourages him to an act of great sacrifice and kindness to another. Not berating, not demanding. And Paul probably had the right in Philemon's life to do it, but he didn't. He encouraged him towards a course of right action and praised him all along the way. Pause for a moment. Who refreshes your heart? Who comes to mind? What people? Can I ask you that question quietly in your mind? Who refreshes your heart? Who are those people? Let the faces come to your mind. I hope faces come to your mind. I hope names come to your mind. Who builds you up? Who encourages you? Consider another question. Whose heart or hearts do you refresh? Who counts on you to lift them up? Who is that? You want to be a light that shines? Refresh others with encouragement. Build them up. Give voice and words to their good qualities and encourage them 
to good deeds and actions. We are unusual people when we shine. When we are people of prayer. When we are encouragers. And when we forgive. Another, also mentioned here this morning. Those in need. Helping those in need. Here's an interesting passage I want to read. Matthew chapter 6, verses 2-4. through four, Back to the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says this. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets. Do not announce it like the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, Jesus presupposes that we are going to give to those in need. It's generally assumed that this passage specifically is dealing with offerings and giving financially so that the money can be distributed to those who need it. And we take that offering periodically here in our church just for, just for people in need. But there is a presupposition, it's a given, Jesus himself seems to infer that if you're a Christian, you give to those who are in need. You're a giver. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You read through the New Testament, and you'll see Jesus engage people that nobody else will talk to. He engages people, loves people, encourages people, meets the needs of those who are desperate, and hungry, and hurting, over and over and over again. Going along his way, he stops for those in need. He heals those in need. And he trained and taught his disciples to do the same. And we see throughout the epistles, throughout the New Testament, those that Jesus impacted and saved were people who met the needs of those who were hurting. Over and over and over are we even aware of people that are hurting? And how often do you and I justify not engaging those people when we see them? And sometimes you can ask yourself, what would Jesus do? I had that bracelet years ago, the big thing. What would Jesus do? We can look and see what Jesus did over and over and over. We shine and we're looking out for people in need. Over the summer, we took uh, two weeks, were set aside. One we called day tripping, and we took a bunch of our high schoolers each day for a week across Oregon. We hopped in the van and off we went. And we traveled and we went to places. And one of the things that we did was we packed extra sack lunches and we wanted to give these to people as we came across those that looked like they're hungry, looked like they were in need. And I don't know how, 
people are different for me. That's probably not something that I'm just given. I just can't wait to go and do things like that. It makes me anxious. There's trepidation there. You never know what you're, what you're going to encounter, what you're going to find. So, <laughs> one day we took a trip to Bend, and uh, we stopped, I think, at a gas station in Sisters. We got out, stretched our legs. Some kids went in to get stuff to eat, go to the bathroom. And I was wearing a tie-dye shirt, and I was walking across a parking lot, and I just hear a voice that says, hey, nice shirt. And, yeah, my shirt rocks, I'll admit it. And so I get, I get some comments now and then, and I look over, and there's, there's, no other, I, there's no other way to describe it. There's four hippies sitting over outside of the store. And they, they look like hippies. We should be flashing back to the 60s and 70s. All of them have got tie-dye shirts. And they're just sitting there, got their backpacks, and uh, I said, ah, I'm going to go over here. So I went over, chatting a little bit with them, and um, there was two guys, two girls, and uh, one lady introduces herself as Lavender. Her name is Lavender. I'm still praying for Lavender. <laughs> and they were on their way to John Day, Oregon. They thought it was about six hours, and they'd, they'd come from a place called Rainbow. Well, it just fits the bill of who I'm talking with here. Yeah, we're from Rainbow, man. <sighs> but uh, they, were, they were waiting for a ride. They were just sitting out and chatting and talking. And, and another lady, another woman came up and said, hey, who's like the leader of this group? And they all kind of chimed in and said, hey, we all are. And this woman gave them some money and said, help you get on your way. So while she was talking with them, trotted on back to the van, and I pulled out a bunch of sack lunches and some water. And I grabbed one of our kids, and the two of us went over and said, hey, here's, here's lunch. Looks like you could use it. All four of them immediately leaped up, and they, just a line of huge, hard hugs. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And Lavender says, God bless you. I said, wow, hey, interesting. Guess what, who we are. This is what we're doing. And got to tell them a little about us, about our group, about who we were, where we were from, and what was going on. And <laughs> interestingly enough, on our way back, a roundabout trip back to Junction City, we ran across a little community called Rainbow. It exists. There is a rainbow Oregon. And we probably came back through Sisters again uh, hours and hours later. And uh, my group of four friends, Lavender and her pals, had uh, traveled all the way across the street and were now sitting in the shade under a tree. <laughs> that, I don't know if they made John Day, but that was an eye-opener. That people are people. And they were excited for someone to, to stop and give them something. Something as simple as sandwiches, a piece of fruit, a cookie, and a bottle of water. And it made their day. We also came across people where we would offer, kids would go out and, and say, hey, you know, can we give this? And then, no. They don't want anything. People are people. And sometimes we misjudge their needs and their wants. But we are to engage, and we are to be mindful and looking out for the needy. 
because it shines and it's right to do and it's a purpose Jesus has given us. Look out for those in need. Another time on another week we took middle schoolers and we went to parks in Springfield and we spent hours and hours and hours weeding like mega Goliath weeds. You got stuck just looking at them. They were giant. And we're pulling these weeds and I was really surprised and taken aback by how grateful the, the people that ran the parks were for us. And we commented constantly, you know what, you guys have done a day's work and what would have taken us a week or two would have cost us a lot of money to, get, to pay people to come and do this. And get hearing, overhearing questions, and Casey can verify people, people asking, what are you doing this for? Who are you guys? Where are you from? And we get to tell them about our churches. We partnered with a church in, in Springfield. And to tell them about church and why we're doing this, and no, we're not getting paid for this. We're just out here to serve. And the example that is set and that the conversations that it leads to. And they're blown away. You guys came out here just because? And it struck me how unusual that is in what is a dark world. Came out here to work like this. Raise your hand. Do you love to weed? Does anybody love to? Who is that person? I hate weeding. Yeah. I don't know, some of you out there, yard work calms you, soothes you. Weird. Uh-uh. Not this guy. No. It's worth a few bucks to have somebody mow my lawn, do all that kind of stuff. But I was taken aback by the opportunity to engage people because I'm, because I'm picking weeds. And I get to tell people about church, and I get to tell people about Jesus. And they can do what they want with it. And I get to overhear those conversations of other Christians saying, yeah, this is our church, and this is what we do. We just come out and do this. And in a really wonderful way, the response and the surprise on these park workers, it was amazing. And it was unusual, because we are unusual when we shine. It makes a difference. We pray and we forgive and we encourage and we are aware of those that are in need and we act upon it. And the last one, again, was said here this morning. It's the good news about Jesus Christ and salvation. What a light that is. Jesus is the light. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And we've heard our, our pastor, this theme has been running through what he's been teaching for months, that we would be a church that makes disciples. And so we tell people about Christ and how intimidating that is to so many of us to do that. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, he asks, back to, he asks for prayer. He says that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may, de that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. The gospel 
That's the, the point of being people who pray. If it weren't for the gospel, we, we wouldn't pray. We'd have nothing to pray about. The gospel is the point of forgiveness. It's at the center of it. God forgives you, loves you, accepts you, and is going to take you. And so you will forgive. I will be forgiving as God has forgiven me, not based upon merit or that it is deserved or earned. Forgiveness is given as an act of love. How amazing that is. The gospel is the center for us being encouraging. It's why we can encourage people. It's why Dr. Ortega can highlight our struggles and our challenges that are very real, are light and short in comparison to the amount of time and the hope we have in the gospel that we are saved and will spend eternity with Christ. And it will be wonderful. And so we have hope in the midst of very real trial and hurt and heartache. Never dismissive of those things. It's because they're real that we need to encourage and build one another up and pray for one another. The gospel's at the heart of that. And then there are those in need where you and I, we come up with reason and excuses to not deal with that. But the Bible tells us something opposite. Engage in that. Be aware of it. Watch for it. Look for the opportunity. Give to those in need. Jesus doesn't say, if you feel like it, if chance comes upon you, he says, when you give. Because you and I are to give. And it means you and I are to sacrifice sometimes our comfort, our finances, sometimes even our safety. Jesus did it. The disciples did it. And it has been the light of God's church through the centuries. We engage those in need. All centered on the gospel. When you and I shine, the door, however you want to look on it, a door opens to tell people about Christ. A window of opportunity. A chance to say, this is why I'm doing this. Because it's unusual to step outside of our comfort zones in this world and give selflessly. It's unusual in this world to sacrifice. And we as Christians, we are unusual people. Look around at each other. We're unusual. Not weird, but we are unusual. We're different. We pray to the one true God. We forgive as we are forgiven. We are encouragers. We build people up, not tear people down. We acknowledge that there's our, there are those who are in need. And may we be a little bit better, more aware of our responsibility from God 
to give because we are an unexpected moment away from being in need ourselves. And then we would sure hope that somebody would be willing to reach out to us. And we are people who, because of our salvation, please never feel like, I don't know how to share the gospel. Of course you do. You've been saved. You're a living example of the gospel. I am a living example of the gospel. And we know what to tell people. You need to be saved. There is a Savior, and his name is Jesus. And that message shines. We are unusual people. Paul said, pray for me that I would fearlessly proclaim the gospel. Let's be unusually fearless and identify ourselves as people who do shine. Close with the words of Jesus. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We Christians are a particularly unusual people when we shine. Let's pray. Father, may we be encouraged by your word. The tasks that you give us, the purpose for our lives, that you call us to shine, to be a light in a dark world. And we shine brightest when it is darkest. So Father, may we seek you. May we give all things to you. And Father, in our struggles, in our hurts, in our heartaches that are so real, may we, may we be surrounded by brothers and sisters who encourage and lift us up. When we transgress, may we be forgiven. And when people hurt us, when people transgress against us, may we find it within us to be forgivers and know that release and freedom from anger and from bitterness and from grudge. Father, we thank you for the cross, for what it means to us. May we be men and women who pray, always thankful. May we shine. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.